Welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog, How To Be More Anti-Racist. Now this is a very special edition recorded in partnership with the Wessex RCGP faculty who commissioned this episode. And I'm speaking with Dr Abu Bakr Mohammed and Dr Ibahai Ohirare all about how to combat racism, particularly in medicine, but the principles will also apply whatever industry you're in. We talk about identity, what's in a name and the importance of pronouncing people's names properly and other microaggressions and subtle racism that people encounter. We talk about the fact that it's not good enough just to be not racist, you need to be anti-racist. Now, Ives and Abu very candidly share their own experiences in the NHS and their experiences of subtle racism and of overt racism too, and discrimination that they've both experienced. And they both offer some really helpful advice about how to recognise it and then how to speak up to make the changes that count. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Ibahai Ohirare, who's a GP in Whiteley in Fareham, and Dr. Abu Mohammed. And Abu's a GP in Hampshire. He's also a member of the Wessex RCGP faculty board. So welcome, both of you. It's really good to have you. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves a little bit more. Um, firstly, I was tell, tell us a little about you, a little bit about who you are. Hi, uh, hi. Thank you for um, having us on the podcast today. Um, my name is Dr. Ibai Uwere. I am a GP in Whiteley and Ferrum, where I've been for nearly 10 years. Um, really enjoy the area. Um, that's it, really. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm <laughs> Dr. Abu Mohammed. I'm a GP in the Portsmouth area. Uh, I'm also a Wessex faculty board member. Uh, I'm a first five GP. And yeah, thanks for having us. 
Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's so good to have you both on. Now, this all started with Abu when you, you um, took a motion to the uh, Wessex RCGP board very recently. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's exactly right. So essentially what happened was, um, you know, events in America happened with George Floyd uh, and, you know, we're all global citizens and we've seen what's happened in terms of the uh, protests and everything else that's happened around the world. And I think within so many people, there has been sort of a visceral reaction. There's been something that's touched us all. And I was very conscious that there are lots of people uh, empathizing, however, potentially pointing fingers across the pond uh, without actually reflecting about what they can do within their own communities or within their own organizations. Um, and pretty much, yeah, as you said, so I, um, sat down. Um, in fact, it was it, it all started after a conversation with somebody at work. So um, not too long after this happened, um, I was working in a COVID clinic, uh, one of the hot clinics looking after patients with uh, suspected COVID. Uh, and one of the receptionists just, you know, as she'd been, you know, scrolling through the newspapers said, you know, you know Abby, what do you think about all the stuff that's been happening? Um, uh, and then, yeah, basically the, uh, the points led on from there in terms of uh, the need for us all to do something. Uh, and the most important thing we can all do is, is speaking up uh, when we see injustice, when we see racism. Uh, we shouldn't let it slide. We all need to speak up. Yeah. So we, we sort of put our heads together and decided to do this podcast, hopefully just to share some stories about what, what's been happening and to give people some really tangible things that they can that they can do and actions that they can take. Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I feel really ignorant about all this, uh, really. And I, I was just reflecting, I think there's so many unknowns, unknowns for me about all this. Mm. I, I really just want to understand a little bit more about why, you know, why this is happening now, why it's taken so long for this to actually reach this sort of tipping point that it feels we're at at the moment. And actually what's going on, what's going on in medicine? Because I think a lot of people think actually we're, we're quite a, a civilised profession and that this doesn't happen, in, you know, this sort of thing doesn't happen in medicine. But actually, from what you told me, it does all the time and there's just so many examples. And do you guys have personal examples? Um, we have, I have personal examples and I've also have examples of, I've shared, have been shared with me with friends and other medical colleagues. But just before we move on, I just want to touch on the point that Abu raised. Um, one of the key things we want people to take away from this is from what we're doing is we want to try and empower people who, who will maybe working in GP practices, who may be working in hospitals, that um, if they do see something, if they, if they do hear something, that they should speak up about it. And also for the institutions where they work, so the surgeries or the hospitals, need to have things in place to help support these individuals who speak up about things so they don't feel victimized or isolated because they have spoken up. So that's just one of the key things we want to just yeah. take people to take away from this. Yeah. Can I just ask you, why is it if why do you think that people haven't historically spoken up or, or people don't speak up when they do speak up about some things, but they don't tend to speak up when they see racial discrimination happening? Mm or racist abuse or anything like that? What? Why not? I think it's a tricky one. I think um, 
So timing is one thing. So with everything that's been happening uh, in terms of the protests and the anti-racism stance that a lot of people are taking now, which is great. Um, up until this point, people have been able, or people have tolerated sort of a low level of, um, whether it's low levels of racism or bigotry, just because they want to smooth things over, get on with the day, not make a fuss. And, you know, they feel they've got shoulders that are broad enough. And, you know, it didn't really affect me that much or, oh, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but actually, I think any level of racism is unacceptable. And what's happened in America, also what's happened abroad, uh, which also happens in this country and in other countries, um, has set off this precedent whereby people have decided actually what's happened in the past has happened uh, but from today i'm not tolerating any of this sort of behavior um, or language in my presence uh, and that's a good thing we all need to stand up to it when we see it or hear it and speak up mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if you feel any differently Ibs. no I, th I think you're absolutely right um and i also think that i suppose you're talking about it from the individual's point of view who, who the, the racism has occurred towards but in terms of maybe uh, a bystander who may have observed it and I think again it's back to empowerment I don't think they feel um, they don't feel they may be supported if they were to speak up so I think we need to put things in place or policies in place to help empower people so and I think now we've got a, a wave of things happening and changes happening you know sort of like triggered by what happened in America so I think it's the appropriate time to put these, these instruments in place to enable people to speak up I think what's interesting to me is is that I think a lot of this happens and a lot of people aren't even aware that there's something happening that that is that has been racist or has been discriminatory towards somebody and a lot of people are just out there being completely ignorant but you've shared already when we were chatting for the podcast stories of, of of what's you know what's happened to you in the past you know is there anything that's been quite um I guess you've got some really blatant stories and some really subtle stories about about what's been, you know, what you guys have experienced. What what sort of things happen that you really wish someone had, had spoken up or said something, or, or maybe that, that you had spoken up or said something that really stand out in your mind? Mm. Uh, for me, I mean, it is a very subtle thing. So I think names are very important. Um, as you can see, I've got a very african nigerian name in my surname and my first name so when i first started general practice in fact when i first started medicine and that was always a a, a, a sort of a thing that we had to break the ice how to pronounce my name um you know so i had to initially especially in general practice when i first started no one could pronounce my name so some patients even some reception staff would say oh oh, it, oh here is a difficult name can we just call you dr o um, I'm not the only one who's experienced things like this or some Asian doctors who may have, or Sri Lankan doctors who may have slightly different names, not difficult, different names to pronounce, um, you know, being asked if they can abbreviate their names. I think it, it takes a few minutes to learn someone's name. And um, eventually what I ended up doing was writing little slips of paper with my name pronounced phonetically and how it was actually spelt. And I left a whole pile at reception and very soon, you know, that wasn't an issue anymore. Um, but I let that go, or slide, so to speak, uh, for a while before I sort of actually, you know, it's my identity, it's my name. So 
it needs to be said, basically. Okay. So again, that's just a, that's just a, a small thing. There are other more, you know, things that Abel may maybe discuss. Yeah, indeed. Um, so yeah, I, I think I've almost sort of grouped um, these incidents into two groups. So you've got the overt, blatant uh, racism or xenophobia or bigotry that's just in your face. Fortunately, these are few and far between, okay? And it's easy because you can, when it happens, you can't, everyone knows, right, I need to call this out. We need to get security involved and this person's been kicked out of Amy or the surgery because that's not acceptable. But actually we get a lot more of the subtle, low level, you know, where are you from? Like, really? You you know, you don't look like you're from around here. You know, um, your name doesn't sound like it's from around here. Um, or the, can I have a, different doctor please it doesn't sound like he's english or you know speaks our language uh so there's a lot more of that that goes on which is the you know taken in isolation it can be explained away each time uh but actually you've got to look at the bigger picture of what's happening here uh and yeah i'm more than happy to share a couple of examples of what's happened to me and what's been shared with uh other colleagues as well um uh, I'm not sure if you've got any specific stories you want to share, right before I go in. Uh, I mean, I think those those sort of like minute sort of like covert uh, microaggressions is what you're you're alluding to. So it's it's um, again very very common. Um, you know, you you get situations where patients phone up in some surgeries and they mention the name of the doctor who's on the phone who's due to see them. Um, oh, I don't want, as Abby said, I don't want to see that doctor. Does he speak English? But I, I think, again, something should be said at that point by the receptionist. Again, I'm banging on about this. They need to be supported to be able to say to that patient, look, actually, that's the doctor we have. That's the doctor who's on duty today. And that's that doctor. That's the doctor you're going to have to see. Um, obviously, again, we've discussed this in the past, myself and Abby, there are situations whereby, you know, some male patients want to see male doctors for particular things that's slightly different but for specifically refusing to see see a doctor because of the color of their skin or the way the, the surname sounds i think that should be just nipped in the bud by the reception team and with the support of the practice manager or the surgery indeed and the thing is they are um going back to my conversation with uh the receptionist that asked me what she can do um i said well Let's take this, for example, you're at reception and I'm working in your surgery. And she said, Dr. Abu, I know exactly what you're going to say. And I didn't complete her sentence. I said, OK, what do you think I'm going to say? You're going to say that you're the doctor on and a patient calls and they're told that they're going to be seeing Dr. Muhammad and they're going to give me a hard time and they want to see Dr. Smith instead. That's something that happens all the time. And because I'm a gobby receptionist, I can talk up to them, but I know some of my other colleagues don't have the, they don't know what to say, or they just, you know, they just let it slide over by saying, oh, actually, Dr. Abu speaks really good English. Uh, you know, he's, he's well-spoken, or he's this, or he's that. Actually, that's not the point. The point is, we're all one team. We're in the NHS. Um, we look after each other. We, we look out for each other. And we don't discriminate based on where we think a doctor's from, what we think a doctor looks like, uh, or how well we think the doctor speaks English, because every doctor to practice in this country has to speak a, a level of English. Um, so 
pretty much as you said, Ives, it's a case of empowering the receptionist to speak up. Uh, and that's that's a phrase that they can use. You know, this is the NHS, we are one team. Uh, and in, in, in this surgery, we don't discriminate based on people's backgrounds, their ethnicities or their names um, and take yeah, it from there. Exactly. I think people find it quite difficult to stand up to patients, don't they? Um, because, well, I guess there's a number of reasons. I guess people might decide, oh, well, you know, the patient's you know, they're frightened and they're vulnerable because they're ill and we can't help what they think and we want to maintain the relationship. But that, I mean, that, that's a rubbish excuse and a rubbish reason. It's probably just because we feel uncomfortable doing it, do you think? Yeah, I think it's two things. So I think we see, you know, we do... The reason we're in our job is because we, do, we love to look after people and those people are our patients. So to some degree, we have sort of put our patients on a pedestal whereby we make exceptions for them in surgery and in hospital, uh, where actually if we'd seen them in the supermarket or in the street, we wouldn't make those exceptions for them. Now, organisations such as A&E are very good at, you know, they've sort of drawn the line, we don't tolerate any violence to our staff, you can either be treated with a stethoscope or be treated by handcuffs. Um, and that's that's for violent behaviour or very aggressive abusive behaviour. Uh, and I, I'm sure you're going to talk about the policy that you've come up with uh, a bit later on. I think we need to really take that strong approach when it comes to racism and abusive language. Um, so, you know, people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. Actually, words are really painful. And actually, sticks and stones will get you locked up in jail. And, you know, if you say the wrong things, they can get you locked up in jail as well. Um, so I think we should be less tolerate, you know, we should be less tolerant of um, abusive behaviour, racist behaviour. Uh, and if it meets the threshold of what's considered a crime, uh, it needs to be reported. Okay. Um, and it's very, you know, people think about crime in NHS. Well, actually, yeah, if someone does punch you in hospital, you can report that to the police as a doctor. Uh, equally, if someone abuses you racially in practice, uh, which has happened to a couple of colleagues of mine, uh, one of which, um, he won't mind me sharing the story, so he's a, a man of uh, Arab descent, he's British born, uh, but a patient called him the P word, okay, um, referring to someone from Pakistan. And he was like, well, I'm, I'm not even Pakistani. Actually, the person doesn't need to have guessed your gift guess your race or ethnicity right uh, in order for that to be a hate crime. They just need to abuse you uh, for it to be racially motivated and that constitutes a hate crime. But you'll, you know, uh, equally a person um, may be bullying you. And again, if that's racially motivated, even in the workplace, that could constitute a hate crime. Um, so we, we shouldn't, um, you know, have this, um, area of exemption just because it's a hospital or a, a general or a gp surgery if it meets certain thresholds it needs to be reported by the appropriate channels you know what abby um a lot of gps or people in practice won't do that don't do that i don't i don't even think they know they can do that yeah that's and that's another thing so, yeah. so so they don't know if someone calls you a bad word or using racial language towards you a lot of People, a lot of black people or Asian people who, who, who you know, is put towards, they don't do anything about it. 
And again, it comes back to your point is that just having an easy life, you know, don't want to be, you know, a troublemaker, so to speak like that. But I think more people should be made aware that it is a crime and you can report it and they should report it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the whole speak up is about. So if you see racism, hear racism, um, don't let it slide. You need to speak up. Um, and I think pretty much as you said, Ives, in terms of um, people being supported as well. So for far too long, we have been, oh, it's just his generation. They all speak like that or they say that. Um, when a person that's experienced this or witnesses it, then reports it to their practice manager um, or one of the partners in their surgeries, you know, is that manager going to be on their side? Is that partner going to be on their side? Or is that partner then going to just explain it away? Oh, he's been at this surgery for X number of years. He, you know, it's just, it's just his age. It's just the group that he belongs to. Um, yeah. That's really hard, isn't it? So you've been talking about these micro aggressions and even some of these macro aggressions. And we're hearing about stuff that patients have done. But you've also been telling me it's not just patients, it's actually colleagues. And you've got some really good examples of sort of systemic discrimination and, um, and, and problems in the medical profession, this profession that is supposed to be caring, that's supposed to be, you know, fair and, um, you know, for human beings. And, you know, I'm the more I look into this, the more shocked I am at what I'm hearing about, you know, you were telling me... Um, Abe's about the um, disciplinary procedures. What was what were the stats around that? I don't have the specific stats, I'm afraid, but it's it's clear and it's well known that um, doctors who are of BAME origin who are brought um, towards or in front of the GMC for whatever uh, whatever issues that they may have um, done are more likely to get a, a, a more substantial punishment compared to white doctors who were brought in front of the GMC. Um, and again, that's just one, one, one scenario. You get situations where in terms of the recruitment process, you know, a lot of this, we, it's difficult to say, I'm just, basically, if you are applying for a job, if the X amount of numbers for position or for a consultant post, you're less likely to get that, irrespective of, what experience you have, irrespective of how many, if you've done a master's or a PhD in that field, you're less likely to get that position if you're black or compared to, to a white applicant. Um, you know, I've had experiences in the past where people have applied for jobs, um, they've put in their CV and they may have an English sound, they're African or black or whatever, but they have an English sounding surname, um, but they've been told to take out the middle name their middle name, which might be an African sounding surname to increase their chances of them getting through the door for an interview. Uh, and that's, you know, friends from various stages, from consultants, discussions with consultants, registrars and SHOs in hospital back in the day. Um, and it's still happening now. Yeah. Indeed. Um, I think, you know, to back up what you've said, I, there have been studies uh, done on this and I've got a personal story that's been shared with me. So um, uh, someone in a different profession uh, applied for a, a job in a particular firm uh, as a solicitor 
uh, put his application through, was told, you know, sorry, there aren't any jobs available. Uh, then changed his name uh, to an English name, same CV, basically, basically the same qualifications, uh, was then invited to an interview and then got the job, uh, sued the organization and, uh, and was successful. Within medicine as well, um, there have been studies that have been done. So, you know, you, same CV submitted, just change the name and um, you are more likely to be successful with the same CV uh, if you've got an English sounding name compared to if you've got a, an African sounding name. And just two other examples, I think there was something mentioned in uh, Parliament with uh, you know the story of uh, a British Nigerian girl who had you know, tirelessly applied for multiple jobs, um, kept getting rejected, so decided to change her name by deed poll, and suddenly um, Joanna Smith has, has landed a job. And there was one study that was done in America. We'll probably come on to this in a, in a anyway. There was one study that was done in America which found that in a particular area, if you had a black-sounding name, uh, you were just as likely to be hired for the job uh, if you were a uh, white criminal. So, if you if you if you, you know, basically the, the people most likely to be hired were if you had a white sounding name and you had a degree, uh, followed by if you had a white sounding name without a degree. And then the people after that were white criminals without degrees, and they were at the same level as black sounding names with degrees. So that's sort of the, uh, obviously that was one study in America. America, there are some parallels that we can draw here, uh, but it just goes to show that the prejudice that exists within people's um, organizations sometimes. And with an NHS case, um, there, it's in the public domain uh, that came out uh, in one of, the, one of the UK papers, uh, a manager in a particular organization, NHS organization said, you know, I don't want a Muslim uh, in my team. You know, this is the guy or this is the woman that's in charge of hiring people, recruitment, etc., uh, And that's a comment they've made. Um, and they've obviously made that comment in an environment they feel comfortable and happy to because there aren't... I mean, the, some of the difficulties with this is... I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz i go through my life ives go th- goes through his life seemingly getting on fine people smiling to your face uh everything's hunky-dory you applied for a job you don't get it oh it's because maybe i wasn't good enough which sometimes is the case um but perhaps it's a little bit more, um, we can do better if actually what's happening is behind the scenes, um, 
the fact is you've got someone sat there that actually just didn't want a Muslim or didn't want a black person or didn't want an Indian in their team. Uh, and they have felt comfortable within their um, homogeneous group of people that they're with, uh, that they can say that without any fear of repercussion or anything like that. So that's why we all need to speak up. So people like that know that's not acceptable. Uh, those views won't be tolerated in my presence. Uh, and if I hear that again, you know, that's going to be reported. I mean, very several great points there, um, Abu. Um, I'm just going to, you know, mention three things. In terms of the fact that these sort of um, staff grades were staff grades forever, they're, they're, they're most, some of the most clever people out there, most trained people, they've got so many papers under their name because they keep trying and trying and trying because each time they get stuck, they feel, okay, I need to go and do more stuff to make me better next time. So, so, so that the most, a lot of them are so talented and so, you know, clever and they've, they've written so many things, so many papers. So in a way, not having those people in full positions of responsibility is almost cheating. The organization is cheating yeah. patients, you know? So these are good, good members of the team that you're not involving in the, the main team at the detriment of your, of your, your organization, at the detriment of your patients, at the de detriment of your population. So, so that's, that's one point. And this whole thing about, you know, prejudice and um, sort of um, job issues. So my dad came and a group of his friends came to the UK late 80s, early 90s, all professionals. So accountants, um, IT engineers, um, you know, scientists. So back then to come to the UK for professional development, you had to be quite high up in your field back there. So imagine coming over here with your qualifications and you have to start right at the bottom. You know, you're applying for jobs, you're getting bounced, bounce, bounce, bounce. Again, similar like the staff grades. Okay, I didn't get in, I'm gonna do a medical, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a degree. Spend three years, do a degree, pay for a degree, apply for jobs again, don't get it. I'm gonna do a master's. So my dad's got a degree, a master's, an MBA, and he still didn't get a job in finance and accounting, which he was like a regional bank manager back home in Nigeria. Not just him, there, there's generations of him, his generation who came over from Africa, not just Nigeria. They're all in a similar situation, you know. So their full potential was never reached. Their full contribution to the UK society was never harnessed because they weren't given those opportunities, which yeah. is which is not yeah. good. Yeah, and I, I just want to riff off what you've said there. So your dad, um, bless him, was super qualified, tried loads of things and, you know, was, was denied that opportunity. And those organizations have missed out on him. Uh, and, you know, he's not been able to contribute what he wants to to those, you know, in, in terms of his own benefit, right? Um, and within my own personal story, I'm pretty sure it was soon after I just got my MRCGP and just blow my own trumpet here, I smashed the exam, scored in the top 5% of the country. And it was, you know, probably not many days after that, that I just happened to be walking past reception and I heard receptionist, uh, sorry, I heard the receptionist having to struggle to get a patient to be booked in with me uh, because I was Dr. Mohammed and, oh, I hope, I hope, we, I hope we can understand each other, you know. Uh, and then actually the patient ended up being booked in with somebody else. So I took him 
off that person's list and booked him in with me uh, and spoke to him myself. And I won't go into what happened, but again, so it's like, they've missed out on having a great doctor because they're prejudiced. Um, and it's actually not necessarily any skin off my nose because at the end of the day, I get to potentially go home at one patient earlier, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is um, I shouldn't be, be denied opportunities uh, based on prejudice uh, because it affects me uh, and it affects you know patient care as well. Yeah, yeah, and racism hurts everybody, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. In, in in society, and there's mm. a lot of lot of evidence for that. I was listening to a really um, good TED talk. Actually, it's worth um, if anyone's in any listeners interested, Ibram X Kendi. It's um, about um, the difference between being not racist and anti-racist, which is something I want to ask you guys about in a second. I just want to come back to the point you made about. Um, um, Abby, I know you've talked about these closed door conversations that, mm. that are happening, you know, where maybe that person in personnel is feels that they can express a racist view behind closed doors because no one's going to challenge. And I think it's one thing challenging a patient where you, you can say, you know, actually, if you want to come to surgery, we as a team are not racist here and you will see we value our team. You will see the doctor you're booked in with. They, everybody, you know, is qualified and able there's a difference between that and, and actually speaking up when you're in a, a dynamic, when you're not the one in, in power, as it were. And I was just I was wondering, um, I was, you were saying that when you got to your surgery, you've printed off your name and made sure everyone can, can pronounce it. Did you do that when you were a junior doctor or did you feel that you couldn't because of the power dynamic there? I think that's a that's a good point. I think it's most probably the case because as a junior doctor, you are <laughs> the bottom of the bottom, and you know, in terms of your your role, um, I think I, I didn't do that as a junior doctor, but I didn't have that much regular interaction for pa with patients as I do in my own practice, where you're seeing patients all the time. So, um, so I didn't really need to do that, but I thought. Initially, as I said earlier on, when I started general practice, I didn't do that either. But in time, I decided, you know, this is my identity. And, you know, it's not a difficult name. They're over more, I shouldn't use the word difficult. That's the wrong phrase. It's a different name. And, and, and you know, so, so it doesn't mean it's because it's different. You can't try to pronounce it because a name is, a, is a, a huge part of you. Same as, you know, the color of your skin, your experiences, you know, you know things you've done. So it's part of you. So if someone is, you know, because of prejudice or because of, I don't know, laziness, can't, laziness, laziness, time, can't, yeah. can't, you know, just try to pronounce your name, then it's not good enough. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it, with what you mentioned with those closed doors, and closed door conversations, I think they're probably some of the most powerful ones, right? So uh, potentially you, um, being a uh, white British uh, GP, if there are conversations that are happening uh, pertaining to uh, racism affecting other people, it's going to be a lot more powerful for you to stand up uh, because you've got no agenda, really. You're just saying it as it is. Um, similar to, with me, if I, you know, if I'm part of a private WhatsApp group, uh, all full of guys, and one of them makes a sexist comment, it's really powerful for me to say, actually, that's not appropriate here, um, and just sort of make sure that there's no safe space for for these sort of, um, you know, uh, comments and, and uh, sentiments to be expressed. 
Yeah, so if we get down to the nitty gritty, how do you speak up? I think people, people are worried about speaking up for many, many mm. reasons, aren't they? But one of the things is they don't want to up, upset the person that said something. They don't want to challenge them or cause conflicts in the relationship. Basically, they're worried about the relationship. And if the person mm. happens to be their boss or the person that's responsible for promotion or a quite powerful person, they don't want to upset them. Have you come across any ways, any good ways to call stuff out that's that that causes the least friction that doesn't massively because I guess if you shame someone that causes them to become even more defensive and even more unpleasant so so what what I would say I think within my PCD and my primary care network so when this all the whole thing with unfortunate thing with George Floyd happened last month um I we have a regular weekly telephone call within the three practices so I brought it up I said guys you know I discussed what's happening I felt as a PCN we need to have something in place to to, to try and address these issues to try and um, enable people to speak up um, and um, so I decided to write a policy for the PCN and I'm being helped with um, another colleague of mine Dr Udo who's also a, a black GP at my my practice and of course another I'm on a forum of other black local GPs in Hampshire so they're helping uh, with assistance and guidance and that so thank you to, to everyone who's been involved to date um, so, so having a policy a, a document in place that that makes it safe for someone to do that without being victimized is a good way forward so so in the policy that I'm putting together so, so, so the first page is just lots of definitions simple definitions so people can understand what's what so you know we've got microaggressions we've got racism casual casual racism a racist incident so just lots of diff different definitions there so so you can have a look at it have an understanding um, to to, um, to what's going on and how to speak up um, and just having a policy is not good enough you need to do more than that so so there needs to be some form of um, I can ever mention is some regular education about cultural awareness and anti-racism and racism um, for the whole practice to be involved if it's once a year then then that's fine because you know you have your equality and diversity sort of education that we need to do but this is slightly different this is a bit more focus on, on racism and, and and what's involved there um, so, so having a policy having some form of regular education um, will be a, a good way forward to try and enable people to speak up I was having a chat with one of my colleagues uh, GP colleagues I think uh, last Friday or so and he gave a brilliant example he said he sings in the choir okay and from the first day he got to the choir they said something along the lines if you're rubbish we're going to tell you you're rubbish in front of everyone okay so if you sing a bad note you're told but then you're not you're not ashamed about it because it's not just you that is told when you're rubbish everyone's told when they're rubbish so it's then normalize that if if something is wrong we can say it openly without feeling ashamed or victimized so that's the kind of sort of environment we want in our practices. Yeah, yeah I think having the policy is so important uh, for practices so that people have got something they can go back to in terms of this is why I did it. And if you happen to see someone that hasn't done it, you can say, did you know that we've got this policy and you can actually do it and this supports you if you want to do it as well. Mm. And there are, there are different ways, as you mentioned, of, of speaking up. Uh, just in terms of the, the low level stuff. So yeah. I remember being a, um, a junior doctor on a particular uh, rotation and um, we were just sitting down having a conversation and um, 
there's myself, black British GP um, uh, trainee and uh, a colleague who was of mixed heritage, um, but also British, uh, British born with a, an English name and um, another colleague who was white British. And we're just having a conversation. And um, the one of them says to the other one, oh, well, you're different because you're foreign. And I was like, you know, we're all sat around a table together. They didn't mean it in, a, in, a, in any sort of malice way. However, they also need to be made aware that you shouldn't say that, even if you weren't saying it in a, in a way that you meant to be harmful. Um, so it's one of two ways. Like, first thing is clarifying what the person meant. Like, what do you actually mean by I'm foreign? Because I'm not foreign because I was born here and mm. my mum's English and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but even if, even if I were to be foreign, what's wrong with being foreign? Um, that isn't acceptable language to use uh, because for all you know, you're potentially doing the person a disservice by not educating them because yeah. they're going to keep going on making that same mistake. Um, and if they were educated and they were just ignorant or just you know bigoted, uh, then at least they know that that is an acceptable language to use in your presence uh, or in that work environment. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, and then secondly, you can just go on and call it out. Um, again, I remember it on the same rotation, actually, uh, there was a particular uh, consultant that I was working with, really nice guy. Um, I think he liked me. Um, but whenever we would, you know, whenever it was time to do the board round or the ward round, uh, he would make references to uh, Juju, which is sort of a, you know, um, a sort of like black magic sort of thing. First time he did it, I let it slide. Second time he did it, I let it slide. Uh, and then it wasn't until that he made some very, um, you know, um, I was expecting my second, uh, my second child at the time. And he said, oh, it'd be great if you gave your uh, son this name uh, and you could put him in baggy trousers, give him a gold chain and he would be X, Y, Z. And it was at that point I said, you know, that is just a racial stereotype and that's completely inappropriate. Um, and up until that point, he thought it was just banter. It was just fun. He was just getting in there with the juniors. Um, and again, like I said, he liked me. He'd buy us coffees. He'd, you know, just hang out with us. But yeah. he needs to be made aware that if you are ignorant, that's not appropriate. Um, if you are cognizant and just think it's funny, it's not appropriate. And if that happens again, um, you know, Abby, how did you how did you deal with that? What happened? Um, so he, what when it happened? Yeah. Oh, I just I just called it out. I said that's complete. That's a complete racial stereotype. And what was his reaction? That's that? not appropriate. Uh, and he apologized straight away. Oh, good. Yeah, he apologized straight away, and he went back to his normal jovial um, sort of you know person you know. Um, our normal, normal jovial interactions. However, he knew that, that the line had been crossed and that isn't a line that should be crossed again uh, with a person from um, my background mm. or with, yes. uh, with someone from any other background. Yeah. Uh, and again, sort of relating the stories. I know racism, we're focusing on uh, black people because of what's happened in America. And we are aware that um, as the Royal College of Psychiatrists say, uh, that racism affects black people more than it does others, right? 
However, we're also aware that racism does affect other people. So um, I have uh, colleagues that I work with that are white Irish. And, you know, if you're having a joke made about you because of one thing or another in relation to being Irish, you know, that's your opportunity to say that's not appropriate. Uh, we don't tolerate those jokes or that language here. Um, and it just makes it a better environment for the next Irish person or for the next black person that, that has to deal with that sort of person in the future. Just, just one point that I'd like to make. So I think in terms of racial prejudice, I think that there's a spectrum of it. Um, I think, although we've experienced some incidents, myself and you, Abu, but I think because we're, we're, we have a, our English accents, okay, it makes, we're less of a, a target, is it a wrong word? Is yeah, I know maybe, not, not, maybe not target, but if you are a black doctor from, you know, Africa, you trained in Africa, you come over here, you do your plab, you've still got your African accent, you're more likely to be discriminated, discriminated against because of your accent, even though we could both be stood there, we're both Nigerian, but I've been here longer, I've got an English accent, but you haven't. So I think irrespective, I think we just need to call those things out as well. Mm. And, you know, I, th I think your point earlier was really important that you're doing someone a disservice if you don't call it out. Because, you know, I personally would hate to think I was carrying on with some behaviour yeah. that was causing other people harm or distress. And no, yeah. one, had, no one ever points that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so again, just to, it, it's definitely, I mean, again, thinking about situations where I wish I'd spoken up was, again, that situation where the three of us were just relaxing uh, on, a, on a firm, we were all friends, uh, and one colleague said to another, you know, you're, you're different, you're foreign. Um, and there are some other situations that do happen, you know, um, I've seen on a, uh, in a particular situation, uh, someone referring to uh, a black person's child as monkey, okay? However, they had two seconds earlier referred to their own child as monkey. Um, so it was a sort of, just a term that they had used, right? But that person should be aware that it's a very um, racially loaded uh, term to call a black person's child or a black person a monkey. Uh, and if you're not educating people um, that might be well-meaning, that might be not well-meaning, you're doing them a disservice because they might end up in hot water um, at some other point in the future. Yeah. And so what, what I've heard is a lot of people have been saying, yeah, but I'm not racist. I'm not racist. And, you know, I don't mean I'm, I'm definitely not racist. And what I've learned very recently is that there is a real difference between being not racist because Apparently, no one considers themselves racist unless they're sort of, I don't know, in one of the very extreme, horrible groups where they actively love being racist. But most people say, no, I'm not racist. But there's a big difference between not being not racist and being anti-racist. Can you explain what, what's meant by that? Because this was, I think this is the real nub of the speaking up thing as well. So, Abby, do you want to talk about not racist and I'll talk about anti-racist? Yeah, so I think uh, not racist is, um, I think many of us have been not racist. Uh, so you are in your practice and a patient makes a comment that's uh, racially loaded or, you know, they're, they're trying to get at someone making it um, in relation to their race, right? 
uh, and you decide to take a water after water off the duck's back approach. Oh, mm. uh, well, let it slide. I just want to crack on with my day and get things done. Um, there is, you know, you're in a supermarket and two people are having a, f- a fight or something's happening and, you know, someone makes a comment that is racist or someone says something to you personally about someone else that's racist. And you're like, I just don't want the aggro today. I just want to crack on with things. And, you know, it wasn't me that said it. I'm not the racist one. That's being not racist. That's It's more of a passive approach, which which can be dangerous. Um, but I just, you know, you, you know quite a lot about anti-racism, don't you, Ibs? So, well, not an expert, but <laughs> I can share my views. Um, so, so, so basically, I think, um, I think, as you said, not being racist is not enough. We almost have to be anti-racist because, you know, you have to make conscious decisions against, you know, societal norms and prejudices about, you know, about race. Okay, so you have to actually call things out when you see it. So the examples that Abby was given there in a supermarket or words that are being used, you, you have to talk about it. Just sitting and not doing anything is not enough. You know, you have to actually call it out, say what it is and speak up really. Yeah, and I think it's the least, literally speaking up is the least that you can do because I get it and I don't want to, so people that are motivated to do stuff, I don't want to take away from your motivation, but if you're someone, uh, sorry, I don't want to take away from your motivation to do more, but if you're someone that's just like, I've got enough of my problems and I want to get involved, but I don't know how to get involved literally the least thing you can do is speak up so you just got to live your life as normal but the next time someone on the bus refers to someone else as an n or a p that needs to go back to their own country literally that's your sign i need to speak up now that's not acceptable um you're in a whatsapp group and someone says you know these people are coming and they're taking over and blah, blah blah that's your chance to speak up if you are a white doctor and or a black doctor or wherever you're from and a patient or someone makes a comment and you witness it so you are passively witness to it that's your opportunity to get into action mode and say that's not acceptable we actually have to like sort of um be aware that there's institutional racism in society and in 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 the community and it's a case of challenging these inequalities and saying something about it so it's about challenging it sometimes you have to be brave to challenge these things but that makes you a better person and you're contributing to society because uh, you know racism doesn't help society it hinders society so if you can speak up challenge these inequalities and 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 make a stand you you, you know you're making a huge difference and as i've said if that's the only thing you can do then that's good enough so I'm, I'm aware we're sort of nearly out of time. What I'd like to ask is, what are your, your top tips for people to speak up, both with patients, but also uh, with colleagues, but also to, to power if they're in a, a, a situation where actually it's someone in, in power or authority that's been racist and they, they'd like to speak up? You know, what, what's... I think one thing, um, Abby, you said, you, you know, question, what, what do you mean by that? Which is, you know, quite a nice non-aggressive way to just say actually what what did what did you mean to give you know letting them have the letting them explain what what they meant which often will hopefully then make them feel awkward and realize themselves what else practically what how would you advise people what are your top tips 
Um, I think Mike said it best. Just do it. <laughs> right. That, like, let's just not. I think we have the ability to overthink things and just ruminate and just just do it. So when the consultant said what he did to me, I wasn't sort of trying to think of the best. There isn't, we're human beings, there isn't necessarily a formula all the time. So if it comes and it happens and you see it, just say what comes to mind. It might not be the right thing, but that's okay because we're not meant to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, but at least you've, you've put some friction up against what you've encountered rather than yeah. just letting it slide by, which it has done sadly for too long. Um, and that's with patience uh, and that's with power because at the end of the day, people that are powerful are still human beings. You know, they breathe, they have heartbeats, uh, they've got lungs just like the rest of us. So there's nothing special about speaking to a powerful person. Um, uh, and obviously there are different ways of going about it, whether it's face-to-face -face or email, et cetera. Uh, and again, with colleagues, when you see it, just, just call it out and you can do it subtly. You, you, can give them a, you can give them a chance with the first step. What did you mean by that? And as you said, they might get a hint that, oh, that was, that was a bit off. Yeah. Um, and if they explain themselves and they explain themselves into a, sort of digging themselves into a hole, then you've really got the opportunity to say, right, this is not on. Uh, and you may not have all the right words to articulate why it's wrong, uh, but you still need to let them know that this is going to have some friction if this comes up again. I think you've summarized it, summarized it eloquently there, Abu. Um, it, it's, there's, as you said, there's no right or wrong way, okay? You just need to say something. Um, but I think with more education, more awareness of, yeah. of these things, it then gives you a bit, empowers you, gives you more confidence to deal with these situations. So yeah. it's about reflecting. And we all need to reflect, you know, what are my biases? What are my prejudices? Yeah. What are my learned behaviors? What, what have I witnessed? What can I do differently? What can I contribute? So you, you ask yourself, you know, put a mirror against your face and, and look at that mirror and do that often. And by doing that, then we can, these decisions or these discussions or these um, incidents uh, become easier. Yeah, indeed. And um, my mum would definitely want me to not allow us to be too doctor focus we've spoken a lot about the things that we experience as doctors but equally we need to make sure that the patients that we look after because we are aware that there are health inequalities as well we are in uh, privy privileged positions as doctors and if we're hearing conversations or care about the people that we're supposed to be looking after is going on as well uh, we really need to be our patients champions and speak up for them as well um, yeah. yeah thank you well, both of you thank you so much it's been you know really useful discussion for me I'm definitely going to be trying to speak up much much more when I hear anything going on and I hope for our listeners it has as well we'll we'll put some of the resources um in the show notes we'll um provide some of those things and I just you know thank you so much for your honesty and for sharing all of that and um yeah and we're going to have I think some more conversations going forward about various different aspects any any final anything finally i think your mum got the last word there abu yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah, I, I mean just well. it's all about just empowering people and giving them the the support to be able to to speak up when they hear these things so it, 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 it especially in the work environment the whole institution has to be behind the agenda for change 
Indeed. Great. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much, Rachel, uh, for your time and using your platform for this. And I would, yeah, two things. Uh, first thing is obviously speak up. And the second thing is, I think it's, it's super powerful. It's a lot more powerful when uh, you are in a, privi a privileged position and you use that privilege to speak up. Um, so I think we all need to do that. Thank you. On that note, I'll say good evening and um, we'll speak again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.